Okay, can we get into God's word? And uh, I'd like you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, and it's a difficult one to find, so it's on page 371 uh, on the church Bible. If you haven't got a Bible and you'd like to follow along, it'd be lovely if you could follow along in the Bible. Just put your hands up and we can get a Bible uh, to you. Page 371. It's following the, the little story that Ali <clears throat> shared with us uh, a little bit uh, earlier. Uh, where we're looking at uh, this quite remarkable man called Naaman, um, a Syrian commander uh, back in the day when the Syrian army uh, sort of ruled the roost in that area. Um, Israel has, was on the wane. Uh, the glory days of David and Solomon were long gone. Uh, they'd had um, a succession of evil kings, Ahab. Uh, was such an evil king, and Joram, who was uh, on the throne at this time, was the son of Ahab. And uh, it's to Joram that um, the, the king of Syria sends Naaman. Uh, but they were the dominant force uh, in uh, the region. And uh, so uh, verse 1 introduces us a little to the character that we're going to look at. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram, the king of Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to uh, Syria. Here was a man, as Ali shared with it earlier, who was at the top of his game. Commander of the armies of Syria. Only the king was higher than him. Uh, we read that the king thought that he was a great man and highly regarded. Uh, he was valiant, courageous. Um, as I was reading this, I was thinking of Maximus from Gladiator. Uh, you know, the leader of the Roman Empire. Um, just saw so much uh, in uh, this uh, Wonderful commander. And so I picture Naaman to be a bit like that. He was a winner. And we all love winners. And he kept winning. His name, by the way, means beautiful. Naaman means beautiful. Or pleasing. Or agreeable. So even his name was good. Do you know what I mean? He had everything. I, I need to share with you, I love to see people thrive. I love to see people succeed. I love to see people get into the top of their game. Before I was ever a pastor, I was in finance and used to go out and see people in their businesses. And a lot of them were small business to medium-sized businesses. And they would talk about how it started in the garage or started in the shed at the bottom of the garden and how it had grown. And some of the pain and some of the joy and, and the experience of actually growing their enterprise. I love to see people Thrive, and, um, and one of the things I'm very conscious, being pastor of uh, this wonderful church in Lisbane, is how many of you have been called to positions of influence and of leadership. And what a great responsibility uh, that is. And while Sue and I have been away on sabbatical, uh, uh, part of our quiet time has been uh, reading the Psalms together and reading Proverbs. And uh, this was one of the Proverbs uh, that we came across, and I thought... This is such a great proverb for those of us who are in leadership. In Proverbs 16, uh, 10 to 15, in the message it says, A good leader motivates, doesn't mislead, doesn't exploit. God cares about honesty in the workplace. 
Your business is his business. I love that. Good leaders abhor wrongdoing of all kinds. Sound leadership has a moral foundation. Good leaders cultivate honest speech. They love advisors who tell them the truth, even if it's painful. An intemperate leader wreaks havoc in lives. You're smart to stay clear of somebody like that. Good-tempered leaders invigorate lives. They're like spring, rain, and sunshine. Isn't that a wonderful passage of scripture for people in leadership? And so if you are in leadership, get hold of those verses. If um, I, I can email them to you or whatever. And just live with them day by day as you're going into the office. Whatever your s- sphere of influence is, read again about how God wants you to lead. Well, Naaman was a good leader, a successful leader. Um, but as we know from Ali, uh, he had a problem. He had a big problem. And the problem was that he was ill. He had leprosy. And uh, we, we know, don't we, because all of us have seen uh, the film that comes on about 20 times around Christmas about what happens to lepers. Uh, they pushed to the side because people were absolutely terrified of actually catching leprosy. And Naaman, Naaman knew that even though he was at the top of his game, that soon he would actually be banished. And I'm sure that he went to all the top consultants that money could buy. You know, the best medics of the area he, he would have gone to. I mean, praise God for the great medics that we've got in our country. But there are times when medics can't help. It, it's beyond their area of expertise. It's, it's beyond their knowledge. you know, the older we get, the more we realize that health is more important than wealth. Is that true? Health is more important than wealth. Um, something you may not know, but one of Sue's favorite music artists is Bob Marley, uh, that lovely Christian worship leader from Jamaica. Um, <laughs> you love Bob Marley, don't you? And uh, she's really myth that I can't grow his hairstyle. Um, <laughs> Bob Marley died age 36. 1981. Uh, a lot of us would be able to remember it. Uh, great music, wasn't it? It really just made you feel better, didn't it? 36. Melanoma. Melanoma. Sue's dad died of melanoma. His last words to his son. He said, son, and by the way, he was worth at that time 30 million, which somebody says apparently was a lot of money back then. Sounds like a lot of money now. But it was a lot of money back then. He said to his son, son, money can't buy you life. Okay, so those of us who are in positions of influence, um, many of us who are champions in whatever industry that we are, the rewards come with that. But don't ever confuse what's important with what is best. But I think it's also true um, that whilst money can't buy us life, and you get these crisis points in your life, which Naaman did, is that crisis points are often turning points. Would you agree? Crisis points are often 
turning points. I'd like you to look at verse 2 through to 6 with me. And we read that bands from Aram, uh, now those weren't people with musical instruments, okay? <laughs> these, were, these were raiding parties that went out from Syria. And what they would do, um, they would just go to villages. We're seeing it in Africa right now with Boko Haram. Uh, they're going and they're, they're actually um, taking the girls uh, into slavery. And that, that's what was happening then. And um, so now bands from Aram were gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. Uh, Ali touched on this a little bit earlier. And um, I'll say a little bit in a moment. Uh, but she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet as Elisha, who is in Samaria. Uh, also Israel, he would cure him of his leprosy. Uh, Naaman went to his master and told him uh, what the girl from Israel had said. By all means go, the king of Aram uh, replied. Now, can, I, can I just say here about this passage, I, I find it really moving. We don't know the age of, of uh, this child. We, it says that she was a, a, a young girl. Uh, so she's likely to be around 11 or 12. We don't know when she was seized. It might have been in the last year. It might have been a number of years ago. But what I find remarkable, you see, Ali said what I would have done is bushed him one rather than sort of gone to him with some help. Uh, there was tenderness in this child's heart. There wasn't bitterness. Bitterness kills all kinds of sensitivity to the Spirit of God. Or for us to be a channel of grace to those around us. And this young girl, the least, the most insignificant in the household, was being used by God to offer hope uh, to this leader of men. I, I do find it so moving that one that God would use a person who's remained tender instead of bitter... And who would have blamed her for becoming bitter? I also think it's quite instrumental that God chose to use a child. How many times has God used a child to speak words of truth into our lives? Uh, um, Jesus said, unless you become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. What, what's he getting at? God, God's not saying to us there through Christ uh, that you have to become childish. You have enough adults who are childish. What he's saying is that as a child, you're still tender, you're still receptive, you're still able to receive. You're not so cynical that you filter everything out. And so this beautiful child... Uh, leads uh, his mist uh, the, her mistress, his wife, uh, to be able to talk to him about the possibility of hope. Now, I would say to you that actually um, the chances of Naaman going all the way down to Samaria to see a Christian prophet before he had leprosy were likely to be quite low. Wouldn't you agree? But something had changed. He'd gone beyond his resources. And when you've gone beyond your resources and the resources of others that you look up to, where else do you go? How many of us here have been in that place where it's so dark you can't find the light switch? You're not even sure if there's a light in the room anymore. 
Or, or somebody once said, you know, the, the light that you can see at the end of the path is actually a train coming. Do you, do you, know what I mean? <laughs> you just feel there's no hope at all, you know? Wise people scream out to God. They make themselves open and available to God. Something else I just want to say here is that, isn't it so typical of our sovereign God to have placed a young believer into a context where God knew there was going to be a problem? And so even before Naaman knew that there was a problem or knew how it was going to be resolved, God in his mercy had placed this young girl. Now, that doesn't mean that God wanted this girl to be enslaved. It's a bit like when Joseph was sent into slavery by his brothers. And then later in Genesis, and his brothers come kneeling at his feet thinking that Joseph is actually going to do harm to them. Uh, he said, you meant it for harm, but God intended it for good. Our sovereign God is never taken by surprise by man's depravity and evil. And that's why I have hope about the world today. That the actions of some of these white supremacists or some of these people who hate the West, God's not been taken by surprise by it. I mentioned earlier in my prayer about going to see the film Dunkirk. It's when you read, uh, some of us went out to the Normandy beaches last year. It, honestly, without God, how on earth, we're not all speaking German now, I have no idea. They could have walked, literally walked straight into Britain. We couldn't defend ourselves. They had so much weaponry just off the beaches of Dunkirk, but they didn't push forward. I, I remember... Um, when I was reading about this, and uh, when Churchill called the, uh, the nation to prayer, uh, that the, uh, the huge problems for the people on the beaches weren't so much the tanks, but it was the dive bombers that were coming down and just obliterating them on beach. And the church started praying, and the weather changed, which stopped the planes from flying and bombing them and killing them. Now, some will say, well, that's, a, that's coincidence. It's Normandy, for goodness sake. It's a bit like Brecon. It's always raining. Do you know what I mean? I, it's amazing how many coincidences happen when you pray. Go to the prophet. Simple instruction. Go to the prophet. And as we saw with Ali uh, in, the, um, uh, in, the, in the little drama... He, he couldn't do that. Whether or not the, the prophet was below him or not, I don't know. Um, but he went to the king and the king sent him to the other king. So let's pick that up uh, in uh, verses 4 through to 7. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Can I just stop there before I go on a bit more? Any of you feel so insignificant that God can't use you? Come back to a passage like this. This was a slave girl in another country. God used her significantly to change this man's life. She had the words of life. She had no power, no influence whatsoever in human terms, but she had all of the power and influence in another. 
It is remarkable what God can do with willing hands and with willing lips. Uh, anyway, verse 5, by all means go, the king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. By the way, I looked it up as to how much that's worth. Loads of money. Loads of money. Uh, this is a fortune that's going with him, okay? Uh, the letter that he took to the king of Israel said, With this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. I don't know about you, I actually find this so funny. I really find this so funny. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. There's some great humor here, I think. The king knows his limitations. He knows he, can't, he cannot cure somebody of leprosy. You see, but he'd gone to the wrong guy. He'd gone to the wrong guy. If you want to get right with God today, if you've got something significant that you need to sort out spiritually, you've got to go to Jesus. Now, guys like me can point you to Jesus, but we're not the people you need. I've got a great bunch of leaders around me. Uh, they can help you, but what they'll do is point you to Jesus. <coughs> Thankfully, the prophet gets to hear about it. And uh, it, it says to the king, don't panic. Uh, there is a God in Israel. Of course, the, this king Joram, because he wasn't walking with God, he, it's no wonder he panicked. If Joram had been the king he should have been and known that whilst he couldn't do it, there was a God in heaven he could, he could have pointed him, but he couldn't because he didn't know the God of heaven. But praise God, Elisha uh, did. So pick it up in verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Make the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. So there he is. It's just come. It's like the presidential motorcade, you know? The outriders on their motorbikes. Uh, he's in the big Cadillac. And uh, he just wants the prophet to come out, lower the, um, uh, the, the window at the back of the car, and uh, for the prophet to do some sort of hokery-pokery, and he would be well. Can I, can I just say to you that if you really want to see God, you've got to come with nothing in your hands, and you can't come at head height. You've just got to fall on your face and recognize that we are made of dust. You might be wealthy. You might have got a CV, the arm of whatever, the length of whatever. But when we come to God, we recognize who he is. But Naaman hadn't got there yet. So Elisha sent a message to him, say, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. 
Anod, Abama, and Farpa, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off. So, so he turned and went off in a rage. You just see pride written across that, don't you? And you know, when we get to be people of influence, when you get used to people saying yes to you because you're the boss and whatever, it's so difficult to be humble. I, I, I think that's why I've been so incredibly impacted by Nelson Mandela. I, I don't know if you saw the film Invictus, and where the uh, the council uh, were going to uh, stop uh, the rugby team having the Springbok uh, on their, you know, they, they were just going to dis- they were going to dismantle and stop calling the Springboks. And the way that Mandela so graciously so graciously went there and poured he poured on oil of reconciliation and not petrol of hatred such a humble guy and you know the world gets changed by leaders like that not the ones with the biggest stick the ones with the greatest wisdom and humility So anyway, I want to take you back to Proverbs chapter 16. Remember I was reading those guidance uh, guidance for uh, leaders. Here's some more from Proverbs 16, the same chapter. Uh, Get wisdom. It's worth more than money. Choose insight over income every time. The road of right living bypasses evil. Watch your step and save your life. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. It's better to live humbly among the poor than to live it up among the rich and famous. And I'm conscious it's an issue for all of us. This whole pride thing. You know, you don't have to be a leader in industry or commerce or finance uh, to have pride. Uh, I came across this lovely story. One woman says to a neighbor, uh, My ancestry goes all the way back to Alexandra the Great. How far does your family go back? And the neighbor says, Oh, I, I don't know. All our records were lost in the flood. <laughs> Alex Haley, I, when I was, I can't remember how old I was. I think I was a teenager. I might have been in my early 20s, I can't remember. Um, but there was a, a program out called Roots. Do you remember it was a series, Roots? Uh, a very powerful, powerful series. And the author of that book is a guy called Alex Haley. And uh, he used to keep a picture in his office of a turtle sitting on top of a post. And somebody once said to him, why have you got a picture of a turtle sat on a post? He said, because it reminds me that the turtle didn't get there on his own. And neither did I. Other people fed into me, gave to me, inspired me, instructed me, disciplined me, so that I could be where I am today. I think it's a lovely picture. I think we're all going to go around now and actually get a turtle with a post on, eh? (laughs) Well, if this girl saves this man, 
she was one of the great helps in this man's life. And you can see it in verse 13. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. As the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. And the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept the thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. I, I'm not sure why you're here this morning. Some of you are here because you're members of this church and you want to build this church. Others of you are here because a hall is being restored over in Thornhill. Others of you are here for other reasons. <clears throat> but this I know is that God wanted us each to hear this message this morning. And I believe that he wants each of us to come to him like Naaman did eventually. And not with what we can offer God, our treasures, our CVs, but to come humbly and to fall at his feet and to receive what he wants to offer us. That's the only way that you can ever find God. To come as we are, but not come and say, and say oh, look, here I am. But humbly come down. Because, you know, when you stare into the face of Jesus and recognize the beauty and the purity of who he is, the only thing that you can do is actually kneel. It's a bit like when Peter uh, saw something of the majesty of, of uh, Jesus in the boat and he says, depart from me, Jesus, I'm a sinful man. Now, was he more sinful that moment than, than the previous moment? No. It's just that he'd seen something of the glory and the wonder and the majesty of Jesus. I keep saying this. When we, when we came back off sabbatical and saw the windows in, in, our, uh, in our living room, and they were filthy. And we haven't been there. How did they get dirty when you're not even there? And uh, there was this brief moment when the sun was shining on them. It was brief. Um, oh. And you think, oh my goodness. And see, that's what happens when the Son of God shines into your heart. And you realize, nothing in my hands I bring. How does it finish? Simply to your cross I cling. And of course, it's a great story because Naaman, he's restored. And he goes back and he, he continues to be this wonderful leader. Wonderful. But he would never be the same again. Because he'd been touched by God. And when a life is touched by God and you're in leadership, oh my goodness, what a partnership that is. But whether we're in leadership or not, God wants to touch our lives today. And I, I don't know what you're holding on to in your hand that God has to dismantle, open up. It'll be different for all of us. But can I encourage you to just spend time maybe in this passage over this next week or so and just say, 
Would you show me, Lord, show me if there's pride in my heart that needs to be dealt with. Show me if there's things that I'm holding on, any treasures that I feel I'm bringing you that I actually need to lay down. And then touch me, Lord. Heal me, Lord. Restore me, Lord. So I can go and be a blessing where you've called me to be.